Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio, brought to you by Sherwick Media Group. The mission of Health Connect South is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations. Through our collective work, we seek to broadly define and advance the Southeast role in the future of health. Serving as a gateway between health industry silos, we seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health. We are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as a part of serving our mission. Want to be a part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HCS2014. Good morning, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on our inaugural episode of Health Connect South Radio. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day today. We look forward to uh, going along with this show and helping the mission of Health Connect South, which is to help make our community more aware of the various health assets that we have available in the community, with the goal being to be able to advance a variety of uh, high-level health initiatives that will improve the overall uh, you know, health of our community just through making folks aware of the various resources that might uh, help their particular initiatives. I'm uh, very happy to have in studio with me some very important players in the arena of cancer uh, and cancer treatment and research. Um, I'm also joined on the mic by somebody that I've uh, had the pleasure of meeting through the Health Connect South platform, and that is Diana Keogh of Sherwick Media Group. Thanks for joining me on the mic. It's great to be here this morning. I happen to have a chance to meet you at the uh, inaugural Health Connect South event back in September of last year. Exactly. We're one of those examples of collaborating and collaboration that came out of Health Connect South Radio. Yeah, and, and I was really excited because I got a call out of the blue one day by Vic Cooper over at Fleischman Hiller, and he said, hey, would you interview this uh, gentleman, Russ LaPerry? He's the uh, founder of uh, Health Connect South. And I said, sure, I've got uh, Donald Pomisano from MAG coming on uh, this week. Well, it'd be perfect to have him on. I got to know him and, uh, and what they're doing here with the uh, Health Connect South platform got invited to that first event, and I was ex- very, very impressed by what I saw there. I was uh, you know, pleased to see the number of different groups from all types of uh, facets of the healthcare space, from things you wouldn't necessarily think about, like logistics and um, you know, research, education, all of that, and obviously health providers as well. Um, so we've got a full slate. I'll go ahead and get our uh, guests introduced here. We're joined uh, on the mic by. Dr. Len Lichtenfeld. He's the Deputy Chief Medical Officer for the American Cancer Society. Thanks for taking some time. Pleasure to be with you. I've also got Dr. Bindu Lingham of uh, the Southeastern Permanente Medical Group. She's an oncologist with uh, Kaiser Permanente, also uh, responsible for providing some uh, medical research on the uh, subject of oncology. Thank you. Nice to be here. And I'm also happy to have Dr. Nancy, uh, Dr. Nancy Paris from Georgia Corps, and uh, you're one of the important resources here at the state level that helps folks become aware of the variety of uh, resources from um, deliveries of variety of care to uh, getting them familiar with a number of different uh, research projects that are going on in the state that they might be able to get themselves or their loved one involved with. So thanks a lot for taking some time. It's a pleasure. So let's get right down to it. I'll start with you, Dr. Lichtenfeld, because your focus is uh, on a wide scale. Obviously, you're part of uh, the American Cancer Society on a national level. And, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about um, the, the, the overall focus of American Cancer Society. I know most people are probably aware of American Cancer Society and, and uh, that its you know, goal is to kind of create some awareness about cancer. But uh, tell me a little bit more about what you're trying to achieve from that level, and then we'll take it down more to you know, how it applies to us here locally. Thank you, CW. Well, American Cancer Society, as you may know or may not know, is uh, over 100 years old. We were fortunate to celebrate our birthday uh, almost about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and uh, we are certainly very proud of that. But we're also an organization that has to continue evolving and changing over time. And what we were back when the, the doctors first met in New York City versus what we are today is obviously much different. There probably you know, are, are four key things that we want to do for people. We want people to be able to stay well. We want people to be able to get well. We want to be able to, to find cures, to do research, to improve uh, the outlook for patients with cancer. And we want to help people fight back. The fundamental desire, need to do something 
uh, uh, either for those who have or who have experienced the cancer in their family to be able to have to engage in advocacy. Um, as an organization, we're involved at many levels. You mentioned nationally. Uh, our national home office, uh, our corporate center is located here in Atlanta, Georgia. But we are a nationwide organization and we have a number of divisions around the country. We have over three million volunteers, people who uh, help us with our, our mission, our cause, who not only just help us, they are the reason you know, we exist to help make life better for patients with cancer, to be able to find cancer early, to be able to do more about this very devastating disease. And you know, as I was looking into the, the American Cancer Society's website, uh, looking at some of the statistics that they uh, provide there, you're doing a good job. Obviously, the efforts of the American Cancer Society are having an impact uh, from the perspective of awareness on the part of uh, the patients in the community and obviously um, helping providers probably be aware of different cancer uh, research initiatives. And some of the statistics that I found that leapt out at me was that the cancer deaths overall since 1991 are down 22%. That's pretty significant. That, that's a number that, that just actually was, was published this, uh, this past week, mm -hmm. uh, beginning of the year. And uh, it's a very important number. It's not just the American Cancer Society. It's a lot of folks who make an effort to try to reduce the burden and suffering of cancer. It's all the way from trying to improve lifestyles, you know, uh, tobacco, smoking is obviously a major initiative and example, but so is uh, obesity and physical activity. It's screening, it's making sure people have access to care, it's making sure the treatments are effective, and it's making certain that the research, that we, we, we commit, we're committed to, to, to funding research and we have committed almost $5 billion since wow. the mid-1940s. We have 47 uh, people, people who have received the Nobel Prize who were funded by the American Cancer, so Cancer Society, early, usually early in their careers, sometimes later on. But the point is, it's, it's, it's a, uh, when I say global, I mean, it is a worldwide effort, sure. but it's also a global effort in the sense that it involves many different aspects that touch on the topic of cancer in order to reduce, as I mentioned earlier, the burden and suffering from this disease. Yeah, a lot of cost goes along with that, obviously. And just to give a, an idea of scale, what we mean when we say 22% decrease, that's one and a half million lives uh, or cancer deaths that are prevented. That's, every that's day, significant. Every day in the United States today, a little over 400 deaths are averted. The people who would have otherwise died as a result of the progress we've made in, in preventing cancer, in finding it early, and treating it effectively. We could make that number even higher. Our goal is to get to 1,000 deaths averted every day. But when you think about it, when you think about the impact, look at smoking. Smoking, you know, in the United States, kills almost 450,000 people every year. Not all of those are, are cancer deaths, and not all of them are lung cancer deaths. Some of them, there are COPD many different cancers. Like there are many other kinds of cancer. Think about the impact of what that really means, what that translates into for, for people, again, here in the United States, but also for people throughout the world. That's the kind of progress we need to make in order to, to, you know, to turn cancer from a killer to a chronic disease and hopefully one day to, to be able to cure it, to be mm -hmm. able to say that the cancer is a thing of the past. Um, and, and, you know, but when you think about 400 deaths averted, that's people alive every day. Um, that's pretty impressive, I think. One out of four deaths in the United States today caused by cancer. It's currently the second leading cause of death in the United States. And the thing about it is they anticipate that actually becoming the number one killer of uh, Americans, uh, just based on the fact that the, the largest body of people that develop cancers are in that 40 plus year old range. And we're gonna have more of those. So it's kind of past heart disease, it's gonna become the number one killer. So it's, the progress is timely. Uh, the progress is timely. As a nation, we're getting older. As a country, we're getting larger. Those are the two major contributors to the number of people who get cancer in the United States every year. But the reality is that we have made real progress. People, and, but we still have a long way to go. I, you know, there are people sitting out there saying, well, that all sounds well and good, but you know, I, I, I have a loved one with cancer. They're not doing well, or I have a loved one that passed from cancer. Uh, so let's let's understand that there's 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 a, a, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. Uh, there are people who need support. There are people who need hospice. There are people who need access to care. 
this is a, a large issue, remains a large issue, and let's, you know, let's celebrate our successes. Let's, let's, you know, remember that not everyone has had a successful outcome. Let's never forget that. Let's strive to do better. Well, obviously, as we talked about uh, off the top here, talking with Dr. Lynn Lichtenfeld of the American Cancer Society, we're making progress. Um, and we talked about the fact that one of the big things that American Cancer Society focuses on is cancer research. So how do you go about that? How do, how do researchers interface with the American Cancer Society? Because obviously you mentioned the fact that you do provide some measure of funding. How does one, uh, if they're a researcher, we'll speak to one here shortly, and Dr. Lingham, um, how do they interface with American Cancer Society so that they might be able to take advantage of resources that you may have available as well as contribute knowledge and information to the American Cancer Society that you can then spread through your information portals? Well, I, when it comes to research, most of our, our efforts in research are in funding, funding researchers. And in particular, we have focused, not, not completely, but our, our primary focus has been on young investigators around the country who have bright new ideas, who are really out-of-the-box thinkers. When you go back and you talk to people who are now well-established and got funded by the American Cancer Society early in their career, what you hear consistently is, I had an idea that nobody else would take a chance on. And we, pardon me, we take a chance, and as, as time develops, and research ideas take a long time. They, they don't just, you don't walk in the lab Tuesday and have a great idea Friday and have a result on Monday. It can take literally decades for some of these initial ideas to turn into effective therapies or, or, or approaches to cancer. So we focus uh, a lot on young investigators. Um, we have uh, panels of truly expert scientists that review these proposals on, uh, every, on a regular basis. And then we, f we select those that we, can, we, that we have the money to, to fund. Mm -hmm. we, we fund those researchers for usually several years at a time. And uh, uh, it's, it's, you know, the, these are not the, the, the huge government grants. These are the people who are going to become part of our research you know, uh, effort over the course of years and decades. And I think that one, I will say one thing that is critically important for people to know. These young researchers, right now here in the United States, we're having a tremendous problem getting funding for those researchers. We, we, we give as much money as we can mm -hmm. at the American Cancer Society. We raise money to fund research, but we can't fill the gap. And it's important to know that these young researchers with these, these great ideas who are making these commitments at, at a considerable, non-considerable personal sacrifice financially need support. We want to be there to support them. And, uh, you know, we, we've have, we have had an excellent track record. We're proud of that track record, but we cannot stop uh, that effort. We must continue to, to, to renew that pipeline, renew that effort, because we know that at a point in time in the future, whether it be five years, 10 years, 15, or even 20 or 30 years, that some of those ideas may be the idea that can really have a huge impact on, on lots of lives. So an example, a drug called Herceptin, the women out there who have breast cancer. Uh, Herceptin uh, is, a, uh, is used to treat a particular type of breast cancer called HER2. That was, you know, uh, the, the, we, were, we helped to fund some of the early research that led to the development of that drug. But it was early. You know, it was way back when. Mm -hmm. But we have to remember that that's, like, like I said, those out-of-the-box ideas, the great new ideas, we want to be there to help continue funding them. We also fund other activities. We fund quality of life research. We fund uh, research into health equity and disparities um, uh, as well. Uh, and all of that is designed to try to, to produce, to, to try to pick the best ideas that are going to have the greatest impact over time. Talk about where funding comes from. Uh, I'm certain, you know, obviously you're going to be a nonprofit organization. Where does the funding come from for American Cancer Society that you can then turn around and help those budding young researchers get their projects going? The, the, that, that funding comes from the people who are listening to this radio show. Okay. No matter who they may be. They may be very well-to-do people. They may be, you know, ordinary folks uh, who send their couple dollars, you know, periodically. They go on the computer like you did, and they see that little thing, and they hit the button. It, it's, it's a lot of different people who are making those contributions uh, to help us move our mission forward. Um, one of the things that we talked about before we went on air today, you mentioned the fact that your overarching focus is with the national organization, but each uh, state or regional area kind of has its own 
um, office, if you will, or representatives that uh, are focused in a given geography. And here, obviously, at least in our early going, Health Connect South is kind of focused on the Atlanta area and then ultimately southeast here. Uh, can you talk about how, how does it work with relation to kind of now going from our overarching big goals, um, high level to, you know, bringing it down into the Atlanta area and then that'll kind of tie us in with Georgia Core and then ultimately our researcher here. There's no question that, you know, as they say, all politics is local. Uh, cancer is very local as well. And, you know, the American Cancer Society is an example. We have a national home office that happens to be located here in Atlanta. We're very proud of that fact and appreciate that. But we also have a South Atlantic division that's also located here in Atlanta. Uh, and we have an Atlanta office. So you get the, idea, the understanding that it sort of drills down. So South Atlantic make the covers actually from Maryland down to, the, uh, down to through Georgia. Um, and then, uh, but we have a number of divisions like that around the, around the country. If we're going to address cancer effectively, we need to have local presence, local commitment, local activities. We need to be able to work with health systems where they are. We cannot sit back in a, in a nice office somewhere. Well, sort of a nice office. I have a nice office. Um, you know, but we can't just sit back in that office and expect things to happen. So we have to have relationships with other organizations at a state and local level. Certainly our advocacy efforts very much have to be at a state level and in fact sometimes drilled down to a local level. One of the, the first one of the first tanning bed ordinances um, in the uh, uh, in the country was in a county in Maryland and we had and we and, and the commissioner was committed the health commissioner was committed to passing that ordinance and we went to the we go to that local level to make those things happen or we may do it at the state level we may go down to the capital uh, in Atlanta and we, and we work on issues there. We certainly work with Georgia Corps um, in, in ways that sometimes are formal and sometimes are informal. The whole concept of collaboration of what Health Connect South is trying to do is bringing people together to share ideas, to share thoughts, share uh, resources and opportunities, and to try to make things happen that may otherwise not have happened or may not have happened as effectively. May, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking back, if I may, just for a moment, um, one of, one of uh, Nancy's colleagues, uh, if I may mention, Alice Kerber, is doing a statewide initiative on genetic screening. Right. And it's critically important. Well, it's great to do it here in Atlanta, but there's a lot of this, there's a lot of Georgia out there. Yep. A lot of Georgia that has some real issues. And, and, and Alice and I have had a number of conversations on how we can possibly make that initiative work for the benefit of women around the state. How we might think of different delivery models. I wish we had more resource and more time to make that happen. That's a reality we all face. But even having that conversation and creating awareness improves the health of our citizens here in Atlanta, improves the health of our citizens here in Georgia. And that's not necessarily something where somebody has, a, again, a formal relationship where they're sitting in the office and they're sort of doing their day job and doing their, their email. It's something that grows out of contacts, conversations, connections, and some, some, some thinking and, and actual mutual trust, if not mutual admiration, for the work that's going on here in this state. That particular program is an important program for the health of the women here in Georgia. To be able to screen for, for breast cancer um, at, at risk, you know, the women who are at high risk, and trying to make that happen is a, is a, is a terrific initiative. How we can take it to the rest of the state and, and make it work within private practices, within public health uh, delivery models is critically important. And, you know, we'll use this here in a moment to segue over and, and chat with Nancy. We've been talking with Dr. Lynn Lichtenfeld of the American Cancer Society, but one of the things I want to ask, obviously funding is, is uh, an important piece where folks in the community, whether they're a, a, a philanthropic corporation or an individual that wants to contribute to your efforts that can do that through knowing more about you here. But are there other things, um, whether they're logistics support, whether they're research support, whatever it may be, um, obviously one of the things we want to identify through our platform here is what do you need? Are there things that could help your initiatives move forward more quickly that we can help get information out about? Let's take a very concrete example. We do believe we could do a much better job of, of screening um, underserved women uh, in living, living communities where they don't have access to care. Uh, and to make that happen, that doesn't, you know, the, to make that happen, 
we have we have resources in our communities that we need to make connections with the health systems and the providers of care to make that happen. And to have those conversations is important. Uh, we cannot go knocking on the doors. We cannot go into every every doctor's office. Right. We need to have the connections with the systems to, in, in order to make that effective. Uh, we have an initiative, uh, uh, it's called uh, 80 by 2018, which is 80% screening for colorectal cancer by 2018. The American Cancer Society is not going to go out and do that. Right. It has to be done with the doctors, the hospital, the systems, the awareness, the availability, the accessibility, the affordability. All those issues have to be addressed, and that requires a community effort. So basically sharing information so that we can increase awareness, and that's a good opportunity for us to talk with Nancy Paris from the Georgia Corps. Obviously, one of the big things that the Georgia Corps or Center for Oncology Research and Education is all about is to provide a source of information from a statewide focus here around Georgia so that a person who's themselves facing cancer or maybe one of their loved ones is, uh, they can log on to your georgiacorps.org website and find out what types of research is going on today. Are there some clinical trials that apply to the cancer that me or my loved one is facing? Are there you know, different types of care that I might be able to access that will help me or my loved one? So kind of pick up where Lynn left off, Nancy, and introduce us a little bit to Georgia Corps, some of the things that you're working on, and we'll talk a little bit more about what will help you move forward. Great, thank you very much. Well, I think the first thing I'd like to say about Georgia Corps is how proud I am that our state has taken the leadership and the initiative to focus on cancer. Some of the things that are happening in Georgia are really very, they're unique, they're innovative. The things that Dr. Lechtenfeld talked about, um, we began maybe 12 or so years ago with an investment from the state, and this came from the Master Tobacco Settlement Agreement. So it goes right back to what Dr. Lechtenfeld was talking about, which is tobacco's been a big problem. Right. It's caused a lot of cancer in our state. And what better opportunity to think about turning the bad into something good than to take some of that investment and say, we need a statewide cancer initiative. So we began with cancer experts, doctors like those who are here with us today, Right folks from academia, folks from public health, physicians in private practice. And that's been the heart of our collaboration and leadership, and it's been focused on improving the quality of care for patients and quality of life for survivors. So you asked me about resources and what is it that we do that makes a difference for patients and for survivors. And I think I'll start with the latter because a lot of people don't think about how many survivors there are. We talk about incidents of cancer, right, mm -hmm. and that's a great story. We talk about mortality and the trends that are positive in diagnosing earlier and uh, reducing the number of deaths. Well, the net effect is that we have over 350,000 cancer survivors in Georgia, mm -hmm. and they need support and care and resources. And they're sometimes um, disconnected from medical care or support systems because it's not perfectly clear. They don't really have cancer anymore, right. but they may be at risk. There are things that they need, but in a certain way, you don't want cancer to define your whole life, but you know you have to be realistic if you are a survivor. So over the last couple of years, we've created an online um, cancer information center, georgiacancerinfo.org, where we have profiles of all oncologists in the state, all clinical trials in the state, treatment centers, resources, and that's been a great tool for tens of thousands of patients. This year we added the cancer survivorship connection to that because we realized that things like um, integrative health, integrative medicine, nutrition, emotional support, ongoing monitoring of one's health were really sort of unique features for survivors and our board told us, you know, these are tools that we need it's a place where Georgia Corps does something that isn't duplicative, it's not being done by anyone else, and it's greatly needed. So 
I guess that's the sweet spot, CW, where we try to operate, which is, you know, where is there a gap that, that needs to be addressed, and then how can we work together to make that happen? And when we look at the Georgia community of folks, uh, how, do we, how, are, how do we compare with the rest of the country in terms of cancer? That's a great question. So when I began my work in cancer, it was with um, Governor Roy Barnes when he started the state cancer initiative. And Georgia looked terrible. We had a high incidence of cancer. We had um, rural, as Dr. Lynn mentioned, and minority populations and elderly populations who weren't receiving what we know to be the standard of care, much less pushing toward new treatments and evidence-based care. A lot of um, patients and families considered that they needed to leave the state to get the best care, and they wanted to go to cancer centers that were designated by the NCI, and we didn't have one in Georgia. So over the last decade plus a few years, the environment has completely changed. We have leading oncologists and researchers in Georgia who get top grants, not only from the American Cancer Society, but from the NCI and others, the Department of Defense, a group we don't often hear about unless you're in this world. We also have over 40 cancer centers that are accredited by the Commission on Cancer, very high quality national standards. Many um, prominent families in Georgia have created cancer centers that are named for them in their own community. I mean, they really invest in the state because they saw the opportunity was here. The doctors are here, the research is here, heaven knows the cancer is here and people need it. So that's been a real turn. And the first study that we did with um, Georgia's Cancer Initiative was to look at, are there clinical trials in the state and where are they? We could identify 82, and today we have over 650. Now, the number of trials isn't, you know, the whole measure of their value, but cancer's a multifaceted disease, in fact, more than one disease. I'll let the doctors talk about that, <laughs> but they've taught us that well. Right. So we have to have a number of trials to reach different types of cancer, different age groups, and what we've seen through Georgia Cora in our study is that we've trained um, researchers, not only investigators, physicians, but also research personnel all over the state. So now there are trials available in all these cancer centers in every corner of the state. And it means that a patient may be eligible for a new treatment or a discovery, and that's important. And by the way, patients tell us that they want to be engaged in research. It might help them, right. but equally important, which I think is fascinating, is that people say it might also help someone else. Yeah, I'm sure How that, terrific uh, is that somebody who's dealing with the problem themselves, I'm sure that obviously if they get ex exposed to you know some promising research practice that might help them, it, it's great, and obviously they, they'd be pleased with that, but I'm sure it would be rewarding as they're going through that trial to know that their effort and their experience might actually then lead to someone else having that much better of a outcome through their own involvement in the study. So that's great. Well said. As it relates to the the research that's going on around the state, how do you how do you compile your available resources? Do you actually contact reach out and contact the variety of research entities in the state, academic and hospital type based uh, researchers. I would assume that while you're, you know, been around for a little bit now, but that, that some of those resources are getting kind of trained to, oh, we got to make sure that Georgia Core, Georgia Info, you know, Georgia Cancer Info knows about us so that we can then help pull people in to be a part of our trial. But how does that, how does that process happen so that uh, folks out there know that they're getting their study listed with Georgia Core, Georgia Cancer Info? That's a great question too. So a few years ago, we established a partnership with the National Cancer Institute, and we received data feeds from them on okay. all the trials that they believe are nationally registered and are open in Georgia. Okay. And then we match those studies with the physicians who are conducting the research. And then we link the doctor to the site where he or she practices. So 
Some doctors are in multiple locations and not all research is available in all of those locations. So we've taken it down several different levels to make sure that a patient could look by zip code or let's say um, they have a particular type of insurance and they want to know if the doctor who's covered by their insurance has a trial that's available. We've done it um, at, by taking national data, customizing it at the local level through our relationships, as you mentioned, with doctors and cancer centers. So we have a research network with 24 of the leading physician practices and cancer centers in the state, and they have been trained to go online and update their profiles so that we have information that's current and available, and that's always a challenge. But it's easier for us to be one entity who does that than to think of a patient or a family or even a navigator in a cancer center trying to do that for oh, himself imagine. or herself. It would be so daunting. We've tried to centralize it. Yeah. And obviously, I've had a chance to meet folks from Georgia Corps and the Georgia Cancer Info uh, site, um, the Navigators Program. We've talked about Alice, and, and uh, of course, Angie Patterson has joined us on the Top Docs Radio Show. Uh, and so through those types of efforts, obviously, we're getting some information out to the community of your presence. But beyond being here, um, how are folks finding out about you to, you know, to be able to use your resource? Well, we have marketing and advertising and promotion campaigns going all the time. We also are responsible for managing the state's breast cancer license tag program. Right. And so we reach out to a lot of communities with promotion on if you buy a breast cancer license tag in the state, then $22 goes to a fund to promote mammography screening for underserved women across the state. That's been a great way to show folks the importance of our work as Georgia Corps and to give them an opportunity to make a small investment that then will come back to their community. We are a part of events like Georgia Gives Day and um, the State Contributions Program, and we have volunteers, private donors, and foundations who contribute to us, and we've been very um, blessed to have a couple of individuals who have invested in infrastructure through Georgia Corps that then can be um, enable us to function all over the state and to create a statewide presence. When I'm out and about, I see those license plates on a frequent basis. Good. And, and so, I mean, that's a that's a very good. I mean, everybody's familiar with uh, you know pink and uh, pink ribbons, um, but uh, what a great way. Uh, we, we sit in traffic a whole lot, um, and you stare at the back end of a car a whole lot in this city. So what a what an elegant and effective way to raise awareness. And it's it's an impressive amount of money per license plate that's actually being contributed to your efforts. So uh, I'm sure that that in and of itself, those funds are able to do a, a significant contribution to some of your efforts. Uh, can you talk about how, how big of an impact is that? And I'm sure we can probably push the awareness of those out. I'm, I know I'll probably consider doing something like that uh, for our vehicles just because it is a pretty sizable contribution on a per-person basis. Imagine 20 bucks per person that's, or 22. That's, that's pretty, pretty high. Well, thank you for considering that. We want to ask everyone to do that, either when you renew or just go to your TAG office and um, purchase a breast cancer license TAG. So this year, we've given away more than a million dollars to local organizations to help women receive mammography screening. And this is an effort that's connected to the outreach of the American Cancer Society and the Centers for Disease Control, who have created programs in local communities where there are gaps, like Dr. Lynn mentioned. One program won't meet every single need. And so we have 17 grantees this year around the state who have received money from us to enhance their local efforts. And just like Dr. Lynn mentioned, I mean, we've learned from ACS and CDC, we have a review process. We have survivors and patients involved in looking at these applications and vetting the organizations and making sure that the money goes where it needs to be and it usually matches additional resources. So that's a phenomenal accomplishment for our state and something, again, that's unique that 
Georgia has put in place. Mm -hmm. You know, one question I have for the both of you, Dr. Lynn and um, Nancy, you mentioned, you both mentioned gaps. What, I mean, with the work that you both do, what could you see as far as collaboration goes on bringing people together to kind of fill these gaps so there wouldn't be these gaps? I mean, both of you are doing tremendous work in where you are and in the work that you're doing, but what could you do so there's not so many gaps, so there's not so much misinformation or even these gaps? What, any ideas? I have a couple, and one is that we rely on the data from the American Cancer Society to illustrate where we're doing well and where we might be falling behind. Now, a few years ago, I said that Georgia's picture looked dismal in terms of the way that we were treating and approaching cancer and the way that we were uh, disseminating our research and um, even providing care. Now we look at the ACS numbers where they show the national projections and we're able to take Georgia's data and see that our mortality rates mirror the national average. So we're taking advantage of every opportunity to improve care through research and through collaboration. To me, the data is very important and getting um, scientifically sound information in front of decision makers. And I've seen time after time that when we show the members of our research network and our board, look, this is where Georgia stands. And let's say uh, pancreatic cancer is a problem. It can be very deadly. When we look at our profile, if we see there are no pancreatic trials in the state, that means someone either has to leave or they find this a hopeless situation. Then our doctors get together and they look, they start looking for where are the studies that we can open. So it's not that it's very complex or costly, it's really getting multidisciplinary experts to the table to work on it. Do you, what do you think, Dr. Well, Lynn? I, well, I mean, I, 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 I agree with you uh, 100%. I, I, you know, it's interesting you mentioned because you know, you're saying where organizations are working together. Each organization has a particular, um, uh, there is some overlap, but there's also particular expertise. And I'm sitting here listening. I, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, CW, about the fact that I'm at the national level. I live in Georgia. Right. Okay. Let's make something very clear. I live in Georgia. I live in a small town in South Georgia. My wife is a doctor here. Our families are here. This is important. The health of the state is important. And the ability to, to identify where the issues are uh, and, and, and work together. We have to be a, we're a voluntary organization. Um, Georgia Corps is, has government relations. But the reality is when you have to go down to that state house and say, you know, tobacco is bad. <laughs> Somebody's got to be able to do that. It may, Georgia Court may be. I don't know if they can or not, but, you know, the reality is somebody has to do that. What, and, and together what we need to do, and, and I think this is what's so important, creating that critical mass that gets in front of the decision makers, as Nancy just mentioned. Whether, and the decision makers are, are usually somebody who's in a, in, in a, in a department, maybe a secretary, of, and, I'm, and I think they've done some excellent work here in the state. You constantly have to make sure that you that our concerns, our interests, become their priorities. And I mentioned tobacco as an example. Um, we really, you know, cancer control, looking at data, trying to figure out where the problems are. We can supply the data. We can supply the advocacy. We, but we are not we're not a solo. You know, we're not solo on that. It is a collaborative group effort. And you sit in the meetings and you have all the expertise and you have the commitment from the multiple partners, that's critically important to being successful as a state and for the health of the state. We, we actually have a ways to go in, in health in, in Georgia. We, we, we can do a better job, uh, but we can do it, we, we'll only do that if we do it together. And it's not just, it's not just cancer, it's, it's in a number of different areas that we have to, be, have to be thinking and talking about and making sure the decision makers are aware of what has to be done. So from, from the perspective of Georgia Corps and your focus, obviously trying to improve our outcomes here at the state level, both metropolitan and rural, um, you know, just like we asked Lynn and we'll ask uh, Dr. Lingham also, uh, talk about where, where do you have needs? Where do you have, uh, if we could get some additional support here, 
um, or some logistical support or some advocacy support, whether it's, say, from a medical association of Georgia or whatever the, whatever the resource might be, do you have some of those identified that we sit around the table kind of going, gosh, if only? Certainly. I think that, um, well, in past years we've done best and promising practices conferences, convenings, where we brought together um, physicians, insurers, um, leaders in research, to talk about new standards and guidelines, emerging opportunities and research, and to make sure that patients and survivors were integrated into those discussions so that there was mutual understanding about what is most beneficial in terms of getting um, the outcomes and improving the overall direction of cancer care in the state. We love to do that kind of thing. And we often are just consumed with the day-to-day -day realities of responding to patients and survivors and um, taking care of raising the funds and operating the organization so that we don't necessarily do that as frequently as physicians and researchers would like. So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. And um, always, there's, there's a lot of time that's required to build and maintain partnerships and relationships, and I think that's something that we do very well. I think maximizing the opportunities for the um, collaboration between the organizations and doing things together, there's more that we could do. So we love partners and sponsors. We love to be invited to events that other people, like Health Connect South, are putting on and see how what we have to offer can be leveraged and um, we can always use volunteers and donations. Ask you about that, yeah. Yes, most definitely. In fact, when we created our new Cancer Survivorship Connection, we created a new um, advisory board of survivors mm -hmm. who are the ones who told us this is the way it needs to be structured. This works. That language is too complex. We'll never click three or four times to get to that information. Right. We want to see ourselves reflected in the pictures, whatever those pieces of information are. So we would, we would welcome engagement and partnerships, volunteers, donations, and all of those um, investments are well used by Georgia Corps. When we talk about volunteers, uh, what do you need them to be doing? Um, we need people, we need survivors who will reach out to others and tell the story of what a difference um, Georgia Cancer Info has made. We're working on a report for the legislature right now and we always want those stories. We answer the phone every day and help people find resources that they can't locate otherwise and they want to know what's available in my community. It's amazing to have volunteers who have walk down that path and um, can answer the phones and respond. We also have a day at the Capitol with ACS and others where we deploy patients and survivors to walk with us and say, this is what we're doing right in the state. This is why it makes a difference. We want to maintain the state's investment in Georgia Corps, which is about half a million dollars. So we have health fairs and events at the community level where we conduct the kind of risk assessment that Dr. Lynn was talking about, very simple, um, so that people can begin to understand their risk of hereditary cancer. We can use volunteers in all those situations. So if I'm listening, I'm a, a company or I'm an individual who's um, having a, a chance to hear our, our show today, how do I interface with you to get involved? Well, the best thing to do, you can call us or you can look at either of our websites georgiacore.org or georgiacancerinfo.org and our phone number, is it okay for me to give that? Oh, please. 404-523-3785 and you can um, and you can call me directly 404-588-4083 and we would love to work with um, individuals, companies, foundations and others. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to have had you uh, join us and be a part of this panel uh, to kind of tie it all together, bring it from our national focus overall to reduce the rates of cancer and, and, and uh, increase survivorship, to bring it down to that local level uh, and talk about how we're impacting Georgia. And, and we're fortunate to have with us in the studio today uh, Dr. Bindu Lingam of the uh, Southeastern Permanente Medical Group, and she's one of the medical oncologists who's involved in some of the research that we've been talking about today. 
So I know you're a busy person. Uh, so thanks very much for taking time out of your day today to join us. Um, talk a little bit about what you have going on with regards to your practice, and then we can talk some about some of the research maybe that you're doing. Sure. Um, so I, I thought I'd start by telling people a little bit about Kaiser Permanente, both locally and nationally. Um, you know, we've been here since 1985, one of the largest multi-specialty groups in the state. We're a nonprofit. We have 500 physicians. We take care of about 260,000 people across metropolitan Atlanta. We not only have primary care, but about 30 specialty practices. And we're affiliated with two of the major hospitals here in Atlanta. Um, we're part of a national network um, that spans from East Coast and to West Coast and beyond. It consists of Northern California, Southern California, Hawaii, the Mid-Atlantic region, which covers the D.C., Virginia area, as well as um, the Northwest region that covers um, the Portland area. So we're, you know, a big national network. We um, our physicians, our organization is unique in that physicians coordinate every aspect of the patient's care from referrals to laboratory tests, to imaging studies, medications, and everything is under one umbrella so patients receive the highest level of continuity of care. Um, and we, in the next few months, um, Kaiser Permanente here in Georgia will launch our own internal oncology clinical trials program to join the national KP network um, to provide innovative treatments to our patients. And we think this is very important, um, not only to our patients within Kaiser, but to our city and our community, um, because it can impact national outcomes and global outcomes as well. KP nationally takes care of 9 million patients, and this is a significant pool of patients sure. which we can learn from. And um, research gives us the opportunity to, to do that. Um, and so that's um, something we've been working on for the past two years to bring clinical trials and cancer research to Georgia and Atlanta and Kaiser. Um, we've been working closely with Northern California, who has a um, very rich history of cancer research dating back to the 1940s. And in the last 20, 30 years, they've really taken off. and have been high enrolling in some of the major NCI cooperative group trials funded by the NIH. And they've been high ranking in NSABP and SWOG for the past several years. And this is, and they're competing nationally with some of the major medical centers, academic medical centers in the community. And this speaks to um, how running clinical trials in such an organization and integrated system can really have an impact on um, cancer research we have many features that allows us to be successful in this, and, um, and that's what we're modeling after here in Georgia. Basically, we're going to emulate Northern California, um, and, and in, in doing so, um, some of these features are um, we have an electronic medical record. Mm -hmm. um, we have a chemotherapy order entry system that houses all um, regimens, standard of care, as well as clinical trial regimens nationally. So I can go in and look. Um, and see, oh, in Southern California, there's the, they're running this trial, and I can do that from my office and my desk. And that's what I was going to ask you. I, I would assume that with that electronic medical record within the the umbrella of Kaiser Permanente, that you know you talked about that. If uh, if I'm in Southern California, for example, I can kind of follow along with your research study that you're doing here, right? And we build have, on that exactly, and we can interface with those um, physicians and um, clinicians and support staff. All, all the way across the country, which is uh, you know, a huge advantage um, as well to, in terms of brainstorming, you know, how can we do things better, whether it's on a trial or off a trial or in, in general in terms of patient care. So we have a rich network of uh, information to, to draw from and we feel like we can draw that network here to Georgia and Atlanta and capitalize on that. So. Um, as a physician who's in practice, um, who also conducts clinical trials alongside your provision of care, can you talk about the how do you how do you determine this is an area that we really need to put some you know scientific study behind to to see if we can impact these outcomes? How does that process work for you as a physician who's trying to determine a, a study that would be worthwhile? So cancer is very complicated, and we have many tumor types. Some, some tumor types, we know there are many drugs that can work well to make it 
almost a chronic disease such as breast cancer. Dr. Lichtenfeld talked about Herceptin. In the past year, there's another HER2-targeted agent called Pertuzumab. It was approved in late 2013, and, we, um, and that's made a significant impact on breast cancer patients. Um, other cancer types like pancreatic cancer, pancreatic cancer or melanoma, those are very hard to treat once they're beyond the, uh, in the metastatic stage. So we look at, um, you know, one, um, tumors in which there's no overwhelmingly effective treatment, such mm -hmm. as pancreatic cancer or melanoma. We know those are, you know, areas that we really need to learn more about. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, we look at those types. We also look at um, in situations in which, you know, there are many drugs available, but patients have kind of gone through that path and received every drug there is. And so we, we think, well, what else can we do so that patients, you know, they've lived eight years, now they can live 10 years. And pertuzumab is, is kind of a drug that's doing that. I actually have a patient now, she's around 40, and she has metastatic HER2-positive breast cancer. And now about six cycles after pertuzumab, Herceptin, and, and Taxotere, she has a complete metabolic response with liver and uh, lung and bone mets. And that's the best we could hope for. And that's only after six rounds of chemotherapy. And when you have gone through your evaluations of different outcomes in patient populations and determined that we're going to conduct a, a trial, can you talk about, I'm, I'm sure obviously enrollment of patients into a study is vital that's that that's where it all comes from talk about that how you know are there studies out there that need more patients to be involved with them and if only we could let the community know uh, that these are going on that uh, maybe we could make a faster paced uh, you know, improvement in this particular cancer type so I think patient education is important um, and I think um, that's one area that you know we can all um, uh, contribute to and work on among the different organizations um, in our community. Um, I think that um, a lot of patients don't know much about clinical trials. What exactly is being studied? Is it um, a novel drug? Is it is it going to be less than standard of care? Um, so I think letting patients know about the benefits of trials is important. At Kaiser, we have multidisciplinary clinics in breast cancer and colon cancer, and we're working on developing other MDC clinics, and they serve as a forum to sort of educate patients um, about their cancer, but, you know, looking forward about cancer research and clinical trials, and I think patient education, providing forums for patient education is important. For you as a researcher and a physician, um, you're obviously on the front line trying to move the ball forward as it relates to these patient outcomes. Talk about what you need as a provider and as a researcher to move some of the things that you're working on forward. We've got you know folks here um, who are certainly anxious to learn how they might be able to help you. Um, so talk about that before we have to jump off today. So I think there are several ways. One, um, I touched on already patient education. Um, I think the, Dr. Lichtenfeld talked about that as, as sort of a, um, a way for patients to um, be interested in, in trials. Um, I think making the community aware that, you know, we're offering trials and um, about all the different organizations that offer trials. I think Georgia Corps is working on that. Um, funding is important. You know, nationally, cancer research is underfunded, mm -hmm. particularly in the last year or so with reduced government funding. Um, so funding is, is, is key as well because these are drugs that, you know, it takes years to come to the market and, you know, it, funding is important in that uh, long time span. So when someone wants to, you know, if we're fortunate enough to have one of those philanthropic folks listening or, or a corporation that's trying to decide where to put funds, do they need to go to organizations like the Cancer Society or Georgia Corps? and then distribute the funds down to the researcher for, through that, or do they interface more directly in some form or fashion with the research itself? I'm going to, you know, I, I think that, um, frankly, it's a, it's a good idea to go through a trusted resource that understands the, the landscape. So the American Cancer Society, for example, has a, a long history, as I mentioned earlier, in, in funding research, understanding research and ideas, and, and monitoring research to make sure the funds are spent wisely. And I suspect Georgia Corps is in the exact same position. 
Um, and, and sometimes, you know, in the new, in the new age of philanthropy, people want to have that connection. So yes, that can be arranged too. So mm -hmm. it, it could be directed, but directed and monitored and shared, shall we say, is probably, uh, for, if people are in that, uh, want to be able to do that, then that perhaps is the best way to go about uh, that process. Something that I know that is a focus for you is to make sure that all groups are included. And I know that sometimes either rural folks or, or minorities may not make up a, a big enough portion of a given study. So obviously having awareness of those things so that those folks understand there's research out here that can benefit them uh, and pull them into a study as well. Am I, am I on the right track? Um, definitely. Um, underrepresented, underrepresented minorities are definitely underrepresented in clinical trials, and we don't know too much about them because they don't have access as, uh, as good of access to care as uh, other um, ethnic groups. And I think in Georgia, um, we have a unique opportunity in studying these groups because we have a significant number of African-American um, patients as right. well as uh, Latino patients and um, I think um, you know we have that opportunity particularly here in the southeast to learn more about those communities and how we can benefit them and gain knowledge about their cancer. Because I know that folks from different ethnic backgrounds can have prevalence of certain cancers over other groups um, so I'm sure it's vital for those different uh, groups in the community to understand there may be a trial out here that would very much need them to participate if they can so that they can a, have a better outcome themselves but also forward uh, the outcomes for their particular demographic from wherever they come. Um, you know, before we run out of time, talk about how folks can interface with you, um, get connected with uh, you or the, the, the Southeastern Permanente Medical Group, uh, should they need to be able to do that uh, so that they can either participate or maybe uh, receive care from you? Sure. Um, so our website is um, www.tspmg.org. Um, I um, can also be reached by email. Um, um, my email is uh, hima.b.lingam at kp.org. We're just in the uh, starting phases of our clinical trials program and uh, planning to launch in the spring. Uh, so in the next few months, um, we'll be uh, letting the community know more about um, our program and um, how to be involved in it. I know you have a number of clinical sites around the community, so I assume that as they get uh, you know, con connected with you, you'll be able to direct them as to where to go to be able to participate in a given study. We have three oncology sites scattered throughout the city, one on the south side um, in Jonesboro and one in Gwinnett County and the other one in, in Kennesaw. We're planning to start in Kennesaw and branching out slowly over the next year. And the results of those clinical trials, will you all be able to benefit from the data that comes out of that? We hope to pool our data both locally and nationally. That way our numbers have more meaning and have more power. Because 9 million results is yeah. enormous. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, sure. I mean, would that be one of the gaps that you're talking about? You two, Nancy and Dr. Lynn? Well, I think when we're talking about building a network where researchers can have access to information, exchange best and promising practices, know what the current thinking is, absolutely there are great opportunities to build on that. Two quick points. Number one is big data, the analysis of data, understand how patients respond to treatment, and Kaiser done an outstanding job. Number two, it has had a practical impact, and, and we don't have the time to talk about it. Kaiser data had a substantial influence on cervical cancer guideline uh, changes that were made recently. And, and, and the Kaiser data from Northern, Northern California was critical to helping to make those decisions. I'm really interested uh, on one of these weeks coming down the road to be able to talk about big data in healthcare. I, I think that there's some real possibilities there as it relates to obviously cancer research, but also being able to reduce costs overall, identify th some ways where we may be inefficiently delivering care, duplicating care, uh, things like that. So I'm very interested in talking to some experts out there who can share with us how we as a healthcare community might be able to take advantage of some of the efficiencies that the industrial side of world is as it relates to giant volumes of data that we're, you know, that we right now have in a number of silos around the country. 
I can't believe our time has already flown past us today. The hours just burned by with the awesome guests that we have here. I want to say thank you very much to the guests that we have in studio today. Uh, as we talked about earlier, every one of them is very busy, have some important things to be working on so for them to give some time here to us in the studio. Each of you, thank you very much. Uh, thanks to Sherwick Media Group for making this program available to help advance the mission of Health Connect South in terms of improving the uh, local and, and regional communities' health. And ultimately, we're going to spread out and take over the country with regards to uh, improving health overall. So thanks for making us a part of your morning. We're going to see you next week, 9 a.m. Tuesday morning. We'll be back weekly. Make us a part of your day then, too. We'll see you then. This show is brought to you by Sherwick Media Group. Sherwick is the health and wellness solution, content that inspires change. Learn more at www.sherwick.com. That's sharewick.com. And link up with us on Facebook and Twitter.